Hi, everybody. If you've made it this far, you've made it into our 300th episode. Mostly this is a review of Roma and you're welcome to just listen to that. But if you hang around after the end of the Roma episode or skip ahead to the chapter, we've done a little 300th episode bonus at the end where we do a preview of the Oscars that are coming up this weekend. and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Roma, directed by Alfonso Cuaron and released in 2018. The plot of Roma goes something like this. A year in the life of a maid to a middle-class family in Mexico City in the 1970s. And as we usually do, we'll do a spoiler-free bit up front before going into spoilers after a warning. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm glad you did that. As the plot summary, because a lot of the plot summaries talk about the Revolutionary War and stuff. Mm. It's so minor, and I really thought it was going to play into this movie more, and I kept waiting for that to happen, and I think it really affected how I saw this movie. Oh, yeah. Because I was was expecting a totally different type of movie to what I got. So we need to probably start this by saying we've had totally different experiences Mm -hmm. of this movie. I saw it about seven weeks ago at... premiere in a film festival i saw it on the big screen i didn't know anything about it so i hadn't read that kind of a plot summary at all Mm. um and you watched it in very different circumstances yeah i watched it last night on netflix at home Mm. um with a noisy dog and it definitely wasn't immersive i think if it had Mm. been immersive my feelings about this movie would be very different so it it was yeah it was a totally totally different experience and i had sort of heard bits and pieces about it but clearly it was misleading yeah, um, and, and, and I, I think it is a different – like I think this should be seen on the big screen. Like if, if I think it's intended for the big screen mm-hmm. and I think the best experience of it is when you do see it that way. But I also think that because this was made by Netflix, the way most people are going to see it are how you saw it. Mm. And so I think it's good that we got both perspectives on that. Yeah, and I, I definitely think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I'd seen it on the big screen. Mm. I still appreciated a lot of it. Yeah. But it took me a long time to adjust to the fact that like – the story wasn't going to be anything like what I thought it was going to be like. Mm. And I kept waiting for things to happen that were never going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll tell you a little bit about that later and exactly where that was going. But like, yeah, I feel like I was, it was kind of misleading. Mm. Um, And by the end of it, I liked it a lot more than at the beginning where I kept thinking that, you know, waiting for a different movie to start. Yeah. Basically. And yeah, it just, I mean, a lot of people are going, oh, it's Alfonso Cuaron's best movie ever. I like a lot of other movies of his better than I liked this one. Um, mm. But I did like it still. Yeah. I didn't, like, dislike it or anything. I just I, – I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I was going to, especially since he's one of my favorite directors. Yeah. And for a long time, too. Like, I'm a long-time Cuaron fan, so. Yeah. See, and I think I enjoyed it more than I would have because I saw it on the, on the big screen. Because mm. this made my top five for the year, and I think it, it's made a lot of people's. Mm. But – Almost everyone is a critic who there who got to see it on the big screen, yeah. which is really not, I think, necessarily representative of most people's experience, which is a thing. But yeah, yeah. I, I, before I saw this, I was worried I was going to be bored. I thought it was going to be slow, and I suspect <laughs> if I had not been watching it in a cinema with other people who were all quiet, I suspect I would have been bored. I took so many breaks. Yeah, I started it last night at eight thirty and didn't finish until like nearly midnight. Yeah, I kept going. Oh, I've got to clean that up. I've got to put this away. Oh, I've got to do this with the dog and things like yeah, that. And just walking away. Yeah, it hits all of my um, boredom t- triggers. It's got subtitles and it's in black and white. It is also two and a half, two and a quarter hours long. But for me, it's more just there's a lot of still shots 
There's a lot mm. of shots where it's just the camera sitting there, not doing anything, watching something happen. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it. And I know it looks beautiful and everything, but again, that's not going to be as appreciated on the small screen. So like when it's a lot of those still shots and you're at home, it's a lot of thinking about all the stuff you're not doing for me. Yeah, it's boring. It's not so much that I found it boring exactly as like I was very easily distracted from it. Mm. And I kept comparing it to my experience of watching The Handmaiden. Which we both watched on Netflix and were like, oh, my God, this is one of the best films we've ever seen. Exactly. And with yeah. The Handmaiden, I kept rewinding bits because yeah. I was like, oh, I think I missed something and, like, never looked away. And, and it was foreign and arty. Yeah, and, and in and had yeah. subtitles and everything. And yet yep. I was like, oh, I have to go back. I have to go back. I have to try and remember what this part was yeah. and stuff like that. I also wish that the subtitles had been, like, in italics for one language and in plain text for another instead of those brackets mm. because I didn't always pick up on the brackets and I wasn't uh, sometimes I was like what do you mean the kid can't understand them and stuff like that like it wasn't clear that they were speaking different languages Mm. to me all the time yeah so I think it would have been help more helpful if it was like plain italics and bold or something like that so I could really get the idea that they of what they were speaking I also think that maybe the subtitles weren't that great because at one point there's a there's a song that the little boy sings to – oh, sorry, we're getting into spo- – I'm getting into spoilers yeah, we'll, we'll and talk too about, much detail. We'll talk about that later. But just before we do, an important bit about the, the subtitles is that our lead character, the maid, and her, the other maid are Indigenous Mexican. Yeah. And so they speak in a different la- – like, amongst themselves will speak in their native language, other not Spanish, which is – there is a point to that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. appreciate there's a point. I just wish it had been clearer for me, that's all. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I agree. But, yeah, I think people should see it. Mm. I just think you need to get yourself into the mood to see it. Maybe see it with some other people who really appreciate film yeah. so that when it does or slow find, down or whatever, you find can a have a chat. screening if you can. Yeah. But if it, then when, you, when it does slow down, you can maybe have a chat about what has been happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have made me appreciate it more because then I could maybe figure it out a bit better. Yeah. Or like you can just have a talk about how nice it looks or something when it gets slow so that it keeps you going. Yeah. Um, because I found it quite hard to keep going with. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it is beautiful, like mm. really beautiful, and it's got great performances and there's a lot to say about it that's really good. just wasn't the best way to watch it. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's a, something to do with the distribution and, and Alfonso Cuaron decided to work with Netflix on this one, which is – or Netflix funding this one for him, which is – it's clearly a passion project for yes. him. Yes. So, yeah. Because it is semi-autobiographical and yeah. all that stuff. So, yeah, we'll go into spoilers now. So, if you haven't seen Roma and you plan to, pause the podcast now and come back when you have. So, yeah, when the kid's singing her, to her that song about, like, pain, pain, go away or whatever it yeah. was, there's a bit where it's set where the subtitles say, I don't want the pay to stay instead of pain. Uh, and I was like, and that made me go, well, maybe the subtitles aren't very good either. So, then it's probably even less interesting because the subtitles aren't properly portraying what they're actually saying yeah i i am um, it's been too long since i've seen it for me to remember that level of detail yeah but it wouldn't surprise me if that was something that was going on yeah um, although, although, I, I mean i don't know like if it's the same subtitle because i went to a screening put on by the mexican embassy so maybe like i got a special one with good subtitles or maybe it's just all the same subtitles i don't know did you have the brackets around the thing because um, i would... feel like it was in italics rather than oh. but i but again it's so long since i saw it so i can't remember it might have been brackets yeah yeah i just felt like it, the bracket, it's just square brackets around the. Yeah, yeah. And it just felt like it wasn't clear enough to me. Yeah. And again, that's something that you see easier on a big screen, which is the whole problem. This is not only designed to be watched on the big screen, it's designed to be watched on like a really big screen in like 70 mil. Mm. And 
it just as much as Netflix is like giving you instructions about how to set up your TV to watch it, like it's just not the same experience. No, it's not. It's not immersive. No. And this movie is one where you have to be immersed in it Otherwise, because it is just like – and also, okay, so because I knew that it was the Revolutionary War and there was a lot going on, mm. I kept thinking that the dad was off doing war stuff. Yeah, yeah. For ages. Like I had no idea that he was off cheating on her. I thought she was upset because he was going off to war and they were really nervous about whether or not he'd come back. Like that's what I thought yeah, was going on I mean, for such a long time. Like one of the strengths is that you're kind of seeing it through the perspective of the maid and the kids. Yeah. And so and maids and kids don't always know all those details. But I was I didn't know what he was doing either. Like I, I thought like he just uh, – yeah, I didn't think he was cheating. I just thought he didn't want to be – he didn't want to have to put up with this little bratty ragtag bunch of children and dogs. Okay. See, I'm, like, I just thought he was sick of being – I see. I thought he was sick of family life. I didn't think he was cheating okay. either. Um, he kind of, I think he kind out. of was. I think that's one of the reasons why that was happening. Mm. But that didn't even occur to me. I, I mean, I would be too. There's like – the children are so noisy and there's so many of them. And then the, nobody – like Nobody walks the dog. Yes. Nobody takes the dog out so that it can poop. Like and so the dog poops all over the the entirely concrete yard that they have. Like was, you own a freaking dog, take it out for a walk. It's not hard. Every time the dog popped up, I was like, "Somebody walk it, somebody yeah. pat it, somebody play with this it." Poor dog. All he does is wait for people to come home. It's so depressing. Yeah, it's so depressing. I hated it. It was very sad. It was very upsetting. Like everything that happens to dogs in this movie is upsetting. Honestly, yeah, they mount their heads on walls. Yeah, yeah, that was so creepy. Like the <sighs> there are so many things about and like there's all these shots of dogs just like being chained to things and eat. I'm like, why do you even have dogs if you're not gonna like do stuff with them? Oh. Mm. Very upsetting to me as a dog owner. And yeah, I was like, yeah. the dog is so sweet. Why doesn't somebody just, like, be nice to it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, in a movie full of upsetting scenes, yeah. Yeah, I know, but I have a dog, so. Mm. But also, like, I don't know. No. That was the most upsetting thing. Well, it was just such an easy thing to fix. Yeah. It's not like they don't have enough people to take the dog. From. There's grandmas there. All of the kids are old enough to walk around the street by themselves. Like, come on. Not all of them. But in, in 1970, they would have. <laughs> no, the little one's like four or five. Oh, okay. There's no way. He, the Pepe, the, the little blonde one, oh, right. is about Him. four or five. Yeah, but like, he's too young. But one, like a child or grandma could easily like, – or one of the maids. Somebody could – like the maids are probably overworked. But, but like, the kids could all go together to walk yeah. the dog. Like, come on. It wasn't hard. The it oldest was, one's got to be at least 13. Mm -hmm. And like also clearly <laughs> the kids and the dog are both kind of under – stimulate like both of them could do with the exercise you know yeah and they are yeah i think a lot of the problems that the kids are having are because of the like parents not paying enough attention yeah. to them and uh, especially their their interpersonal troubles that they're having mm. i think the mum is trying but she i find that i found the mum a very interesting character yeah me too actually and she's the one who's had like oscar talk about her although i actually I'm, i think it's the isn't the maid the one that's had the main Oscar well, talk? Well, the mother is a professional actress and she's the one right. who's actually had Oscar talk. But I like the maid better. I think she's great. And and a non-professional actress who was like a primary school teacher and is now doing this. I, th I think she but, was like – they were talking about her sneaking in with a lead nomination in a couple of yeah, articles I've read. But it, the Past mother – some people that I liked. But yeah, the still. mother is really interesting though because when – like we were introduced to her – as she's just not a nice person. Like mm. she's not nice to her staff. She's neglectful of her children. She's not even nice to her mother. And then there's the whole 
the thing with the husband, which we don't know what's going on at that point. Yeah. And so it just seems like she's sort of hysterical, you know. There's something wrong with her. Yeah. But And it unfolds that what's actually going on in her life and, and so you, you do feel more for her. And, and she starts trying to change a lot of the behaviours as well. Yeah, and and like, once she realises like what, that this is her life, she actually tries right. to change things. But even that, even before that, I think that um, I, I really like her reaction to finding out that Cleo's pregnant. Yeah. Um, things like that show that she's not yeah, like Yeah, this. where she's, her immediate concern is that she gets medical treatment. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's really nice. And she doesn't, you know, get upset with her or anything. No. She doesn't, she's shocked at the concept that they could fire her and all this sort of stuff that yeah. kind of shows that she's not she's just been caught up in her own head like yeah. it's very hard for her to get out of that when there's all these things that are going on that affect her yeah. but again i thought it was because like her husband's going off to war like i really i really thought that was going to factor into this movie more than it did you know i, I like that though because it was a very sympathetic portrayal of a woman and a mother like she isn't perfect and she tries to fix the fact that she's not perfect but she's also it, it's just how she is she's not like the madonna or the whore she's just not quite not a perfect person yeah i have some complicated feelings about the gender roles in this movie but yes i do um appreciate like, i think that's why she's the most interesting character to me mm. is that like it shows that it, it's got this real understanding of the fact that sometimes we behave badly towards other people because of what's going on in our lives mm. and i like the journey that she goes on in the movie where she starts out being so kind of in herself because of the pain she's going through but mm. then kind of brings in everybody else and has some moments where she lashes out or gets drunk or does the wrong thing mm. but ultimately is trying to kind of keep her family together and express her love for them the best way that she can i really mm. liked that that journey yeah um and i you kind of see that moment where she lets go and they, she takes them to the beach and she yep. goes and she lets go of the husband and all the problems and she's like we're just gonna do this yeah um and i really liked that yeah yeah um, and she wanted to kind of wait to tell the kids until she had a plan and all that sort of stuff, mm. and I appreciate that, but it means that they were left out, so they were having a lot of problems and acting out against each other and yeah. stuff, which is interesting. Um, and, the, yeah, the way that uh, the family dynamics were affected, like that, I think that's why I like that second half better mm. is because I finally understood what was going on, yeah. and I was like, oh, okay, I can properly appreciate this movie now. I feel Whereas like in the first half, I was like, I don't know what's going on, and I can't get invested because, like, it's just too, like, opaque for me. I feel like there's a lot more plot okay. goes on in the second half as well because, like, they go on the trip, the Christmas trip, and they, uh, the maid goes and confronts the horrible boyfriend and, like, mm. mo lots more happen. And, then and my favourite scene, which is the attack in the shop. When they get caught up in that and she goes into labor and yeah. yeah, like that whole that whole final sequence from that point where they where they get attacked in the shop, all the way at getting to hospital and then the stillbirth, like yeah. it's intense, but it is good. And then it kind of moves into the I'm trying to think of how, how long it is between the stillbirth and when she rescues them at the beach. I don't I'd know. say about fifteen, yeah, twenty it's, minutes. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a big break. Yeah. So it kind of builds up to the stillbirth. Yeah. And then we have because she's at home by herself for a while, recovering, and, and yeah, yeah. And we have a lull before that sort of finishes up. But that that whole sequence, that big, it's basically the action sequence. Things get a lot more interesting at that point. And yeah, so that the second half does have a lot more plot, but also like if I had known going in more or less what I was watching, mm. I think I would have enjoyed it more. 
because it's just it was so much of me going what is this movie yeah like I just didn't understand what I, I was, was trying to figure that out as well. I mean, and that's not that wasn't fun for me. Like it wasn't a mystery or fun. Well, the, it was just frustrating. The thing that that got me was before I saw it, the plot summaries that I'd read were like the life of a, a middle class Mexican family as told, like through the eyes of their maid. Or I don't even know if to mention the maid. And I I always thought it was going to be more about the family because I thought, oh well, it's semi autobiographical. So right. Corin will make it about what it was like from his eyes as a kid. Yeah. And so it was confusing to me that it was actually all about the maids. Yeah. Yeah, which was an interesting choice, really, because like I understand where he's probably coming from as an adult, where he's sort of like reimagining, rethinking things, and realizing that you know the people who uh, helped raise him, like they were staff and all that, mm. you know, and actually thinking back through what that meant. Mm. I get that, but it is also kind of not what I was expecting, right? And if if I'd been expecting that, I would have been like, oh, I'm going to learn about the life of this maid, and I would have been more prepared for that. Yeah, uh, yeah and an indigenous woman in Mexico, yeah. in a time when there was like up, clearly upheaval going on, right? I would have been, I think, more prepared. For, but I was really expecting the upheaval to be a lot more yeah, I prominent. Well, I was expecting them to have some kind of involvement in it more often yeah. than just that one shop scene. <laughs> like it's just so. It's. I mean, it's just a lot of background noise for most of the movie, and I'm like, how is this not? And I any part. Of I don't it? really know the history either. Yeah, like, it's you know, it's from the 70s, so it's a long, It's well before any of our times, and. It's in South America and, you know, I just don't – I'm not familiar with it. So Yeah, it's, and it would have been interesting to know a bit about yeah, it other I, than I, just the very limited yes. kind of views we get to see in this. Yeah, because when they do get attacked in the in the shop, in the, in the streets, it was really cool. Like the, um, the sound mix on this is amazing. The gunshots – so in a cinema, gunshots started coming from behind me. Mm. And it was like, holy crap. Like, and they were really loud, like a gunshot really would be if you were mm. next to it. When they talk about this movie being immersive, that was so immersive to me. It felt really, really scary getting through those streets. And again, not yeah, the experience, not the experience you'd have at home. Um, but I still thought that that was, that was the best part. Mm. And also because we've had so, – there's so many of those great long panning shots mm. – and so you get into the shop and it's one long panning shot. Like it's yeah. all, you know, single take stuff, which is a real, um, like it's something that Cronin's been doing for a while. So mm. it's not just yeah rip-offs of the other kind of um, directors, you know, um, Inuitu does a lot no, of that. No, he was his own well. cinematographer for this too. Um, but it's just like this, the pans yeah. across streets and things. And yeah. so um, to be able to use that in both the, the shot shooting and the near drowning at the end mm. is all that kind of panning stuff. Very clever. was very clever and very effective. And I liked how still the camera was. Uh-huh. I loved how still the camera was for all the panning stuff because you could just beautiful. watch things happen. There's not a lot of shaky handheld. No. Like you're, it's still immersive, guys, if it doesn't feel like the camera is us well, and we're running around. In the shop, the way – the protest builds up on the street outside mm. and you see it through the windows. Like the the just the setup on that alone is mind-blowing. Mm. But that is amazing, mm. the whole way that works. Yeah. And, again, like it's true to what it's like to be a person in the middle of history. Like sometimes things are happening around you. You've still got your life going on. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because that is almost a more powerful message than like – being in the middle of the action because most ordinary people aren't in the middle of the action all the time. Yeah. It's just that they never even talk about it. No. No, they you don't even hear it on the news. Like they don't even have a news like if I if it were me, I would have put in like a news broadcast mm. on in the house or like seen a, a lesson at the kids' school where they learn about what's going on maybe. No, because she would, she has to be like um Cleo is yeah, in literally she's not every shot. See that. So or like oh they learn I don't know, something like the kid 
has to read the newspaper for homework or are you you know you kind of work it in somehow yeah it's on the radio in the background yeah the assumed knowledge is not there mm. for a lot of the viewers and so it's just like it's just too for me the first half of the movie is just too kind of it, it expects you to do too much thinking and yeah. not enough experiencing of the movie yeah or like at least i was i was just so in my head for it you know yeah it, it takes a while to figure out who's who and what's what yeah and it's just yeah um it wasn't till the end of the I, even at the end of the movie i was like the names i was like there's mrs sophie and sophie so does that mean kid sophie is named after her mother and then who's mrs teresa is that the grandmother and like yeah. i was just like who is everybody still at the end of the movie mm, yeah you know that was very frustrating to me i knew the little boy was pepe yeah but not the other boy's name no pepe is the only one you know and um the mother is always called Signora. Like No, or, or, she they call her oh, th- Signora Sophia sometimes. Yeah, I think it's no, Sophia is it's, it's I think the mother and the daughter are both called Sophie. S O F I. Yeah. Um and um and it was ages before I was like, What? <laughs> like yeah. why Because in English, when we say Mrs. Sophie, that would be her last name. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, Doctor Antonio is the dad and I was so I was just like, Do they have different like oh no, that's obviously their first name. Yeah, yeah. Then I was like, which one is Mrs. Tr-? So Mrs. Tracer, I'm fairly certain, is the grandmother. Yeah, it is. It is. Right. So but it took me such a long time to figure out all that stuff. Like really, yeah, and really to tell, long to time. tell the children apart. Like there was the girl kid and all the other kids. Well there was the, and the then one the little she, the little boy who was her favourite, the baby. Yeah, who yeah. I guessed was Alfonso Cron just because yeah. she interacts with him the most mm. and keeps saying creepy stuff about <laughs> when he was old. Yeah. Um, which I thought was very funny because kids do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that and that was Pepe and I knew that. Mm. Like I figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the girl was Sophie. <laughs> and the girl was Sophie yeah. and then there's two other boys and I yeah. don't know who they are except they have a big fight in the middle of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's so much information and you just never get like yeah. you just are dropped in the middle of it and he never bothers with any exposition or anything like that. And I really need to know these things mm. so that I can relax into a movie. Yeah. Because until I know those, all mm. I'm doing is trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, I think the stuff when they go to the Christmas thing as well is okay. Mm. Not as good as the rest. Like, I, I think it keeps getting better after that. But that was also really confusing. Oh, God, yeah. And there's a whole, like, thing where the bushes lit on fire and they got to put out with buckets. Like, it's a whole long thing. And and you're like, why are the, the children bring this the- close to the freaking fire? Yeah. They bring all the kids up and then a guy just sings. And I'm like, get a bucket. Go oh, my God. Help. There's a fire. How do you people not know the protocols around a freaking fire? And there's people just kind of drinking. in the, Like the, the rich people are just kind of drinking in the background. And I'm like, is this realistic? Is this what it was really like? Because you're surrounded by idiotic this adults. Is if this is what it was like when you were trying to put out fires and yeah. only the kids are doing it. Right? It was so confusing and weird. It was such a weird scene. Mm. And I spent a lot of time also trying to figure out how they shot it. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, a lot of this movie, I was like, did they just not, like, follow labor laws for kids or something? Yeah. Because there's no way you could have kids that close to fire. Yeah. Like, real fire. That's just not It's awful. Okay. I just, no, I watched that whole scene being like, what the hell? Like, I know that parents were more lax about safety and stuff in the 70s, but they weren't that lax. 
Or like, if they, and even if they were, like, filmmakers now aren't. No. <laughs> like, what was happening? And not Alfonso Cuaron, who's sort of not like that. Yeah, and very careful about everything. So I, I, I don't know. I, that was a bizarre scene to me and it totally oh, no, that took me out. that was so bizarre. Yeah. No, and then also that's one of the scenes that doesn't really take place from Cleo's point of view as well. Yeah, yep. Which is always a problem when it takes us out of her point of view because then the immersion is also lost. Yeah, yeah. So oh, I didn't like that. <laughs> I did not like that. No. Um, yeah, and it also like I still didn't know at that point that Dr. Antonio was not off at war and was actually cheating on the family. And yeah. so there's this bit where like the one of the drunk – relatives comes out and hits on yeah, the mother yeah. and i was like wow that's really callous yeah yeah <laughs> so it was like you know it was callous no it genuinely it was. was yeah but i was thinking that he was off like fighting oh right yeah not yeah. like off cheating yeah yeah i think i'd figured it out by that point but yeah <laughs> i definitely hadn't it was ages it was it, i think not until he ran down the street with her <laughs> past the kids and i was like oh he's just here yeah he's just here cheating on her yep i was yep. like what <laughs> mind-blowing to me <laughs> just had this completely different concept of what this movie was to what it actually was uh, like i was like oh he's been like drafted to you know yeah, do yeah. war stuff like yeah. he was clearly a smart man i thought maybe he yeah. was like advising or something yeah yeah i didn't know what he was a doctor of no it's not until he shows up at the hospital that's him, right? Maybe it's not. What? Who's the guy who holds her hand in the hospital? That's the dad, right? No, that's a friend. Like, I, I just assumed that was someone who knew the dad and knew what was going on. I completely thought oh, that was the dad. I didn't. But maybe now that you've – because she seems to have contacts at the hospital, that's why she takes uh, Cleo there to go to – No, the, the, not the mum. The Cleo is there by herself. Hmm. To be give birth. Oh, when she's giving birth, yeah. And the guy comes into the elevator with her and he holds her hand and then he's like, oh, the doctor won't let me in to the, um, like, into with you, but you'll be okay. No, I, That's yeah. the dad. God, I didn't I, – see, I didn't get that at all. Um, But I I was so glad to be rid of the dad. I was like, all the adult men in this fucking rubbish. Yeah, that was my real issue um, with the gender roles in this I movie. It was just like, all men are bastards. They're all the worst. And women just have to do it on their own kind of a yeah. thing. And I was like, wow, well, that's awful. Like, These men are awful. And, and so to me, I thought he was like another doctor, but he's not a not an obstetrician. Even like the obstetrician is a woman. Like all of, yeah. the, all of the adult men are just useless. Yeah, and it makes you kind of think about the kids they're raising. But, yeah, um, yeah. And what they think of them. I don't know. It was yeah. odd. I'm just looking up the plot to see if that was him. It make- I read through the plot on Wikipedia after I watched the movie and uh, I was like, oh, I for should- a lot of the movie because I was like, oh, that's who that was and that's what was happening there. And- okay. Yeah. Well, if Antonio that's- comes by to reassure her but makes an excuse to avoid staying with her. Right. It was him at the hospital. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. No, I didn't get that at all. And I was immersed. Yeah, Man. <laughs> exactly. It's so confusing. I was really glad I, the mum bought a small car, though. Yeah. Oh god, she's. I would not get in a car with that woman. She's a terrible driver. Terrible. Well, uh, I mean, it was implied that the, it was the the problem was with the car, and the car was too big because the dad had the well, same sure, problem trying to get it into the driveway. I know, but also she's not clearly not a good driver. Like there no, are other terrible. incidents. Terrible driver. I was like, oh my god. But yeah, getting it into that driveway, I was like, your car is too big. Mm. It full on galaxy quested twice. <laughs> 
this was like a late addition into my top five of the year and I didn't I nearly didn't put it in there Mm. and now that I've sat here talking about it I'm like oh god there's so many problems with this movie but what the actual experience it's a bit like a quiet place the actual experience of watching it in a cinema was incredible but there is a there are a lot of problems with the movie and they come up as soon as you don't watch it under perfect conditions Mm. That's the problem is that like because I lacked the immersion, mm. it was very hard for me to get into it. So all I'm seeing is like, I don't know yeah. what's happening. I can't yeah. feel that follow this movie. Um, every time I want to take notes, I'd have to pause it so I didn't miss the subtitles. Uh, but the subtitles didn't really help me that much anyway. And no, I just got, I was very feeling very frustrated. Yeah. Like uh, it felt so much like a um, obligation movie. Yeah. Like, oh, I have to watch Roma that mm. it was it's upsetting for me because I would have really mm. – I mean, I love Cuaron. Um, yeah. Like one of my early – I love Itamama Tambien, which is a Mexican film and it's in Spanish and all of that stuff, you know. Yeah. And it's not very fast moving or anything, but I love that movie and mm. it never feels like an obligation to watch. Whereas this one, I was like – And I, I don't think you've watched that like at the cinema this... either. Like I think you've watched it home. The first time oh. I did, but I did see Itamama Tambien at film group once. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got to watch it on the big screen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the first time I watched it at home and I liked it. Mm. Um, I think I watched it on a computer screen or something. Yeah. No, I was too young for that. I must have had it on DVD or something. Yeah. Because I was like 18 or 19 when I saw yeah, that Yeah, that first movie time. came out in like, what, 2001? Yeah. And I saw it not long after it came out. Mm. So, and I loved, I love that movie. Yeah, he's a filmmaker I like. And I knew how beautiful this was. Yeah. Like whenever it was like one of those panning shots along the streets and stuff, I could just appreciate how nice mm. it was without having to try and think about all of the plot stuff and who everybody is and uh. that sort of thing. Yeah, and who all the characters – and then, you know, I figure out who somebody is and then suddenly they're on the screen like sword fighting naked. <laughs> just all, oh I, all I could God. see was just his dick dangling. <laughs> It's like five like, minutes. That scene is several minutes long yeah. of just dangling dick. It's not. It's only It's only about 30 seconds of actual. Like then it he sits seems, down on the bed. It goes freaking ever. But then there's this amazing thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even like but part of the scene. But he – so he goes from like he's in the bathroom mm. and then he comes to like a third closer to the camera mm. and does all the sword fighting thing. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. a quarter of the way closer to the camera does the sword fighting thing. Then he's mm. on the bed. Yeah. And then he leans all the way up to the screen to kiss her. Yeah. And I and it's all in focus. It's really cool. And I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> when he especially when he leans into the screen from like sort of halfway yeah. down. The, and I was the, like, wow. The filmmaking in this is amazing. Like the just the fact that these shots are so big and there's no obvious CGI and there's everything in the frame is deliberate and perfect. Like the aeroplanes. I was like, those are actual old aeroplanes, like in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> flying over. And there's no, like, nothing accidentally modern sneak- sneaks in or anything. It's really, really technically brilliantly made. It is. And, like, it, it reminded me of, like, old studio system movies where they would build all the big sets mm, and have big mm. things. And it, rem- it really kind of well, made yeah, me think of that. that. The thing I was talking about before with the, the parade going on in the background and the sun, yeah. it just, like, that 
that must have been a huge set plus the outside stuff yeah all had to work together it reminded me actually of um a touch of evil which i've recently <laughs> yeah, seen yeah, for yeah. the first i've seen the recently saw the whole movie oh, for the first time right. and there's quite a few actually you know the the famous one is the opening shot but there's actually quite a few shots where they do a lot of mm. um go through a lot of stuff and the opening shot is actually amazing yeah, yeah um but yeah it reminded me of that kind of thing where they used to you know really make things happen in mm. streets and stuff and he's clearly gone to Mexico and, and just done it. And there's so many scenes, like when she goes to the, the football overlords, there's so many extras in that scene. That was one of the ones that I wrote down as my favourite scenes. Mm. Like just watch – and everybody's doing the, the training the for twirly the – twirly thing that he's into, yeah. Martial, martial arts. Art. I don't know what martial art that he's, it no, is that he's doing. God only knows. But now he's leading I thought cult. it was Japanese because I thought it might be like Japanese oh, sword fighting type stuff. invented and he's really just a cult leader. No, because then there's they have different trainers and there was a Korean guy yeah. who was there they were talking about. So, like, I was mm. like, I don't know what this is. I no. liked, I enjoyed have, seeing the cultures melding together. But also that moment when, like, the cult guy is, like, doing the standing on one leg. Mm. And I was like, of course Cleo can do that. She's the most grounded, centered person yeah. in this whole movie. Um, but, yeah, that looked amazing. Yeah. Like, amazing. Whenever it was on the plot, I just was yeah. getting a headache trying to follow it. <laughs> Yeah, I and know. it's not like it's a complicated movie. No, like shit happens, really. Yeah, like a lot of bad stuff happens to this woman and her family and the family across the course of a year. I suppose, but it's not just that. It's like, yeah, it's just about everyday stuff, you know. Yeah, and, and they learn through it. And yeah, when she saves everybody on the beach at the end, oh, that was kind of harrowing. I think I got a bit upset by the stillbirth, and um, by the time I got to that one it was like a lot <laughs> but again I'd been immersed in it in a way you hadn't but like yeah I wrote that dead baby thing is intense but then I saw the dead baby on the thing and I was like that's that's a fake it's like a doll <laughs> yeah like it didn't really look like a, a baby yeah I, um and so it really like and and especially the way because the way it's shot and then they kind of pull it out of her mm. and it was a moment where I was like oh wow that's really intense and then I was like oh that's not uh, that, see, I didn't. I I was just like, holy, cr-. like I I found it really upsetting. Okay, scene. and I I suspect like I it's kind of like when people ask me about, it, I'm like, I kind of want to put trigger warning on it for that. If you've had a like a miscarriage or a, whatever, or if you're pregnant while you're watching it, but like, yeah. So that was I found that really upsetting, and then I was really worried that they were all going to drown. Um, I I yeah, I that was the only thing where I was like, I know they're not going to drown because I saw seen the poster. Uh, well, I hadn't right the that po- the Netflix poster where they're all at the end having been saved from the beach wasn't out when I saw it, and that wasn't on the po- like I hadn't seen that poster. I think it was out, but like yeah, I I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't seen it. But it I had, had been yeah, like I missed out on a lot of information. It about was the this one film. that was on um the little card that Travis had to even talk about the movie before you guys went to see it. Oh, right. Um, and it was also – then it was up at Dendi and stuff. Oh, okay. And it, it, it's like it is the end of the movie and it's after that scene. So I was like, oh, well, she's going to save them because yeah. that's that photo. I mean, I, I sort of knew that she was going to, I, but I was also like I'd already been really upset by that. And for some reason it just was like – it was very upsetting to me. I think it was it was the things actually like having grown up in Australia that upset you, like the fire and the oh, yeah. water. When you grow up here and you know how dangerous both of those things are – and so I was kind of I, – I think it just it got me. But it's some, was, there's something weird about – That's the, good that it worked for me though. Yeah, it's great. But there's something weird about the drowning scene as well is that they're all standing up. Yeah, yeah. And you can see that they're all standing up when you watch the sh- – like because I was like how are they going to achieve this shot? Are they really putting kids in this? Yeah. Like in this situation but also like 
when they're going under and everything. And then mm, I was like, mm. but she's still standing up and she's not really that much taller than either and of them. she can't swim. And then I was like, oh, they're all still standing up. Yeah. So how were they drowning? Well, it was they were out of their depth. But I, I was very, it was like, I was just kind of, yeah, I, I, I don't know. They, I think again, I was, I'm not immersed in the movie. So I no. was just trying to figure out how they did that long panning um, shot. And I, I was think, like, oh, they're just all kind of standing up. And I, then they I had pop a touch up out of, of the, your children in peril thing going yeah. on there. I was really upset that the kids were in so much danger. Yeah. And, and they'd have been in danger in the fire thing as well. I think it was upsetting me. Yeah, the fire thing. Yeah. But also and then at the end of the movie, there was one bit that I saw that was like stand-ins for the – like in the very quick credits. Um, mm. There was a thing that I saw that was stand-in for the kids. Yeah, yeah. So I'm fairly certain they had adult stand-ins yeah, just yeah. go out and, and be under the water. I'm but they, they sure also they. clearly were all standing up because when she goes out to get them, they just started walking towards yeah, the – Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was, yeah. oh. <laughs> which is – yeah. You can get into trouble standing up at the beach. Like You can. Especially if you're not a strong swimmer, which none of them clearly were. Right. But they, they were implied to be able – to swim whereas she couldn't i think yeah, yeah. i was like what's happening yeah <laughs> neglectful parenting that's again, what's happening it's, again though it's that i don't understand what's happening here kind yeah. of feeling like i was like oh i just don't are they being taken away by the undertow is that what happened mm. were they pulled out i also kept going foreshadowing 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 <laughs> at the beginning where she goes where the kid's like i can't i'm dead and then she goes i can't i'm dead yeah. but then also when she drops the cup the yeah. biggest bit of foreshadowing at the Christmas thing and she drops that cup that's like, to your baby's health, and she drops it. I'm like, yeah. that baby's not going to be healthy. No. <laughs> Clearly. No. Like, I- this is this is foreshadowing 101. Yeah. Wow, I also had a lot more notes at the beginning than later, so clearly I got into it more. Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot goes at the beginning you're trying to work it out what's going on. Mm. Yeah, like, really, We're- from the training scene, after that I've only got three more notes. Yeah, because so. that's where it gets busy and, mm. and interesting. Yeah, exactly. To be honest. And, um, yeah, I just enjoyed seeing, like, that bit where they go through all the, the slums, I guess, mm. like, very different kind of world to the one that yep. the rich people are living in and um, and seeing that cultural stuff was really interesting to me as well. Yeah. I just could have done with some more information up front. Just, just have some exposition. I mm. know that you want to see it all from the maid's point of view and everything. Yeah. I just couldn't go with it, yeah. I think. So... Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, definitely. But, like, what a technical achievement this movie is. Yeah. Wow. And also the, the lady uh, – what's her name? I keep thinking Yuretsi and it's not Yuretsi. No, um, isn't her last name Yelitsa? That's probably why. I'm, oh, I keep sorry, no, her first name. Yelitsa um, Aparicio. Yelitsa Aparicio. So I was actually kind of close. Went far off. She, yeah, as Cleo and then um, Marina de Tavira as – as the mother. Those two were really, really good. Mm. Um, they were definitely the most interesting parts of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guy who played Furman was also really good. Yeah. Um, even though he was awful. The character was awful, but I thought he did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. Like when he threatens her after oh, that training scene is so God. intense and yeah. scary. And then like when you see that it's him in the mm. shop was really scary too. Yeah, that was really – and that's why like even though the stillbirth is really intense, you're kind of – you're so relieved because mm. like she hasn't doesn't have to have this horrible guy's baby, and she was too, and then she was yeah. upset that she was yeah. relieved, and so yeah, it's yeah. just kind of yeah, it's a lot, and it, it's it's mm. interesting, but it's also like yeah, I was thinking about that kind of gender role stuff and that sort of thing, and I really appreciate that the movie is very non judgmental towards women in terms of like sex and having to have children and all this other mm. stuff, but it's very weird on its <laughs> treatment of men. And it's kind of almost like pedestal, you know, women on a pedestal thing of how great they are to children and all that well, sort of thing. Well, Cleo for sure, certainly is. Cleo is, yeah. But mum is like 
she's not. That's kind of what I like. I mean, that's what's good about her is yeah. she, I mean, she's neglectful, obviously, but like leaving the children in the company, four children just swimming on their own at the beach With- are like supervised by a maid who can't swim. Yeah. True. Yeah. That, that like, was unpatrolled beach. No one else there. Yeah. I appreciate, I really liked those two characters. Very yeah, like, interesting. She's dynamic. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I, yeah, this is one of the things I liked about the mother. Yeah. She's not bite any stretch perfect yeah or up on any pedestals she's failing at being a mum and succeeding like at the same time which i think is a pretty typical experience yeah i was interested i would be interested to see how much of it was autobiographical as well yeah yeah but yeah it's really interesting just the the whole all men are scum thing was like okay yeah especially when you've got a movie with little boys in it yeah because i'm like what are you implying about the little boys especially also since like the boys were always being mean to each other and the girl was kind of left out of it a bit yeah, well, they, they had a go at her for being fat. Yeah, they once. had a go at her, but like but, but she they would learn that from the mother. She wasn't involved in the like no. teasing back or anything. No, no. So, yeah, and nobody ever like disciplines them or says, says no. to them, like until they're actually full on fighting and punching each other and yeah. throwing tennis uh, baseballs at each other. Nobody's like, hey, maybe don't do that. Yeah. Or talk through anything with them. I was like, you can't yeah. just get involved a little. Yeah. yeah, even by the sort of neglectful parenting standards of the 70s, you would still discipline them. I, you would think so, but I yeah. guess not. There is also a scene early on where, like, the family's all in chairs and then Cleo sits on a, like, cushion next to the kid. Yep. And then is sent away again. And I was like, there's some interesting stuff about class in there as well yeah, yeah. that I think he sort of touches on. Well, the bit where the maids aren't allowed to have the light on at nighttime because the mistress doesn't like them using too much electricity. Like they're they're, they're they're ironing her clothes using electricity to do that, but they're not supposed to put the lamp on. Yeah, that's true. I think, but she goes around and turns off all the ones in the house as well. So she yeah, clearly yeah. has that expectation for everybody. But yeah, and you know, there's clearly a lot of affection there, and they they you know they take her and they buy her a crib and all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 yeah, interesting thing, to see like, that like the complicated yeah relationships. But yeah, I, I that's I thought that was interesting, and and I liked that. Yeah, still you know upper-class people using poorer people to do all the stuff that they should be doing for themselves. Yeah, poor and Indigenous women, yeah. Yeah, and that race, racial stuff as well, which is really not like – Again, hard for us to understand. It is, and yep. it's not really examined much. No. Um, they definitely don't go into it much. And yeah. I was like, who – I don't – because I don't know anything about the revolution. I was like, who was fighting against who and what is this yeah. film's take on this? And, and where would – the family sit versus where would the maid's family sit? Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know any of that information. Who is the maid's family? We never or, see Cleo's family no, or anything like at that. at all. Although um, the other Adela, the other maid, keeps calling her something, Manita. Yeah. And I don't know what that meant. I don't know either. <laughs> we really, I really would like a little more information from this movie than we got. Yeah. Anyway, we should probably rate it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to work out what I should rate it. I think probably – four stars mm. and some of the points are coming off because i just think it's a movie that has to be enjoyed in a very specific experience and that to me is not um is a, is not great but at the same time when you get to have that experience it's fantastic um, yeah and there's a lot to really enjoy about this movie a lot to unpack a lot to dig into yeah so four from me yeah i don't know i mean i'm gonna say I'm going to give it three and a half stars, which I think might be too hard on it. But yeah. because I didn't get an immersive experience, it was it's hard to give it 
too high a score, mm. even if I think it's really beautiful and really good. Yeah. Because it just and, – and I'm kind of going, this is how most people are going to see it. Yeah. And it's just not that engaging mm. on the in the way that we're seeing it. Yeah. It's just not a good enough experience no. to give it the more – and the we, better no. score. Exactly. And, and we know – that it's possible to make an engaging film that's engaging in the cinema and on the television. Yes, but, I mean, this is a very specific. Yeah. Like, I think. It's such a cinema film, right? It's about cinema. Like, it's Coron going, this is what I can do with the medium. Yeah, that bit where they were watching that movie Marooned. Yeah. And you were like, oh, it's Gravity. Yes. This is where he got the idea for Gravity. Yeah, yeah. That, that was cool. That I liked was that. cute. The astronaut movie, yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of my notes. I should have talked about it. Yeah. Um, was it funny. was one of mine too. But, yeah, that, yeah, I was like, oh, look, it's Gravity. Like, yeah. It was really cute to see where that he'd gotten. adorable. I would have loved more stuff like that, to be yeah, honest. that was fun. I would have loved more stuff where it was like, oh, this is, you know, what inspired him or this is, like, something that affected him and stuff, especially if you know his, his film history. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not that Cleo's not an interesting character, but because we didn't know she was going to be the main character and it's so much about her and you're just kind of like, oh, this is what this movie is. I think just knowing that going in would have made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Anyway, it's gorgeous though and I wish I could see it on the big screen. Beautiful, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye. So now we're going to have a little chat about the upcoming Oscars and uh, the interesting situation that we find ourselves in this year. Um, some of the changes that have uh uh, been made been and made. reversed yeah and uh some of our predictions our hopes and the snubs that we think should have been in there this year yeah but we really can't talk about the oscars in 2019 without talking about the complete cock-ups that happened in the lead up to it this has been one of the weirdest years ahead of the oscars that we've seen so starting way back last year when they tried to bring in a category called Best Popular Film. It is very strange to me that they tried to do that. Mm. Like, firstly, because it's basically saying we never nominate popular films, mm-hmm. which isn't true. But also because uh, it's basically going, well, these are the real movies and those are the movies you guys like. Yeah. <laughs> which is just insulting, really. It hugely. Yeah. It's it's a it was a, just a really yeah, weird poor reversed. decision. Yeah, and it's crazy because it's like it's only been a year or so since the academy actually started bringing in like much more diverse and younger members. Right? Yeah, they, they inducted a whole class of people who hopefully bring about some more interesting change in the academy. And the, then this year they're just like still same old stupid. Well, it's not even that. It's it's. I mean, they they've clearly identified that there's a problem. Yes, and that they need to fix it. Yeah. But all of the suggestions that are making it to the press about how to fix it are really weird, silly suggestions yeah. that and don't the, make a lot of sense. The problem that they have is that the Oscars used to be a huge TV event and the ratings are just dropping off every year. And I just – I don't know that they're necessarily measuring by the right metric because the Oscars mm. is still a huge event, right? Mm. It's the biggest sporting event on my calendar of the year. And it – is for for a lot of us it's our super bowl right and it's huge on twitter like it takes over that whole afternoon Mm. that it's on here um 
as Australians, we haven't watched it in a lot of years because it actually airs here during the afternoon, like of a work day. Yeah. So I haven't actually watched the ceremony in years, but I've watched it on Twitter every year where I can. That's yeah. A part of the problem is that it hasn't made any adaptations for a changing um, mm. landscape in terms of. Yeah. of They're worried about how many people are watching on ABC at seven thirty on a Sunday night when, like, that's not the only thing to be worried about. Right, because we, the the way that we are connected now means that it's very very difficult not to find out what has happened yeah, until an you watch that night event. Right, you yeah. can't. It used to be um, even like maybe as little as five to eight years ago, I can remember just turning off Twitter for the afternoon and not going online while I was at work so I wouldn't find out the Oscar results. You cannot do that anymore. Yeah. You would have to stay home, lock yourself away. So And so I could watch it on, on the television that night. In Australia, they don't even bother showing a nighttime telecast anymore. They just show it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or whenever it, midday or whenever it comes on. So if you're a person who can take a Monday off in you know the middle of March or February, and yay, good on you. But um, if you're not, then you just kind of have to you, – you will find out. Someone will tell you. Someone will text you. It'll be a thing. Yeah, and, and um, that's just here. Um, mm. In America, I think part of the problem is that they haven't, like – they haven't changed the ceremony in any way that's going to draw in new people. Yeah. Um, they haven't really looked at what the falling numbers mean in terms of people who will record it or and watch bits of it or skip through it or like, – YouTube bits what, of it. YouTube it or watch – like follow it on Twitter or whatever. Like they're not looking at the conversations it's generating and all of that sort of stuff. They're just looking at how many eyes are on the actual ceremony while it happens. But there's got to be other ways of making money out of it. Exactly. Surely. Especially like one thing that I do that was one of the things that they announced this year that they, they kind of cut down the number of song performers performances literally the only bit of the ceremony that i watch on youtube afterwards is the songs i love watching the original songs especially if it's a song i like and sometimes even when it isn't i love the musical numbers that's one of my favorite bits i don't necessarily need to watch the awkward banter between two people as they hand out an award but the interesting bits are to me i love musical numbers but also the speeches are what generates all the conversation yeah and every year they're like oh we're going to cut them down to 45 seconds for a speech and we're going to play them off. But, like, the speeches are often incredibly interesting, especially and so from some of the, like, lesser-known categories. Mm. You'll often get, like, some someone who's, you know, made a live-action short or who's a sound editor or something who, it, like, this is their one shot. And so – and they're, but they're also, like, a regular person, not like a celebrity. So they're not media trained and you might have a more interesting speech from them. And then celebrities that do use it as a platform, I, I actually kind of like that. <laughs> It's not only that. A lot of people watch the Oscars to, um, especially those of us who watch film a lot, to learn which movies might um, deserve our appreciation, to find out which parts of movies deserve our appreciation, to see, oh, this category lines up with something that I don't always notice in film. So I'm going to really pay attention to the sound editing in Dunkirk. Right? Like it, it really kind of focuses in, you in on all the moving parts of a movie yeah. and what you should appreciate and gives those people the appreciation that they deserve. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and there's so many bits, like uh, the cinematography, which we, is usually pretty obvious. That's a lot of people appreciate that. But a lot of people don't appreciate, for example, the editing, which is a hugely important art form. And the score, that's one where I've learned a lot from you on that. 
where you don't even think about it. But if, a, if you suddenly take the score away, you notice it. Yeah. And doing it well really takes a lot of talent. Hmm. Um, and doing it badly is decidedly noticeable. Yeah. And, uh, um, not always in a way that you might think. Yeah. But it is noticeable. So, mm. yeah, that, that, uh, the score is one that frustrates me. Was it hair and makeup is also not being presented? Uh, yeah, hair and – so uh, it is – they've reversed this decision now, but they were going to not present cinematography, editing, live-action short, and hair and makeup. And hair and makeup actually bugs me on a couple of levels because mm. hair and makeup only gets three nominees. Everyone else gets five nominees now, even animated feature, which used to only get three, only gets three nominees and – both categories are smooshed together. Now, hair and makeup, as you can imagine, is quite female-dominated. And so unlike the sound guys who, like, honestly, telling the difference between sound mixing and sound editing is nigh on impossible. Mm. Um, and, I mean, they, they, are, they are slightly different, but honestly, you could put that all together in best sound direction or best sound and nobody would care. They get two awards, each with five nominees. Women, the hairdressers and the makeup artists, which most people walking down the street could tell you the difference between a makeup artist and a hairdresser, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you could find a teenage boy who could tell you that difference. Yeah. There's only three of them and it's for both. So the fact that there's only three of them is ridiculous. Yeah. I can like this, the mushing of the categories together, I, I will, you know, I'll concede that it's, they're similar, but also like there's three of them. And this is a huge – how people look on screen is a huge part of yeah. movies. They are similar. I think also to a certain extent sound editing and sound mixing are done separately, but hair and makeup tend to be done together as well. That's true. Um, you tend to do it all as one team at one time. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so that might also contribute to it. I was thinking about that recently. Yeah. That like because they are very much working as a team at one time, mm. yep. that potentially – that and sound editing and mixing are done very separately. Yeah, could also contribute to that decision. Yeah, but getting only three of them is is just a, it's just wrong. Yeah, and and sound editing and sound mixing aren't that separate. Like, I mean, they're diff different in some ways. Like, I when you think about some of the high profile makeup stuff, like you think about you know making prosthetics and wigs and all that mm. kind of stuff. You obviously that all has to work together. Um, yeah, so so I'm I'm not like that's not the worst of it. I I'm, I can live with it being one category, but three nominees, mm. and it's just so a bit like uh, costumes, which is another one where I always say this: the contemporary stuff mm. is it, it's always about the flashier. Um, with makeup, it's prosthetics, um, but and, and with um and sometimes historical, which is more the co in the costume side of things, the flashy stuff that gets the attention rather than sort of doing a really good job of a contemporary or more recent. Um, piece even that like you say the flashy stuff that gets the attention but to me most period piece costumes look pretty much the same yeah they just don't stand out unless it's something like elizabeth which really really did have costumes that were focused on and popped off the screen and really interesting mm. um like the costumes in the favorite don't stand out to me as particularly different from other period films no. they just make you feel like you're there which is a good yeah. job but it's not like a there's one in this category that we were talking about apart from the one that uh the simple favor which is the one that travis liked the costumes oh, in, which yeah, is yeah. also really good but um oh on the basis of sex for instance mm. um where the costumes were really noticeably mm. good and yep. also put you in the mood of that place 
but weren't far back enough to be yeah. nominated or stuff that you see that's set in like the 80s or the 60s or whatever. Yeah, well, Can You Ever Forgive Me is one that we actually called out for excellent costuming, right? That's the um, one I was thinking of. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. So the ones that aren't actually not nominating costuming are Ballad of Buster Scruggs, um, Black Panther, The, the Favourite, yes. Mary Poppins Returns and Mary Queen of Scots. Um the favorite and Mary Queen of Scots to me, you could easily knock out of this category, especially Mary Queen of Scots. For oh, you. yeah, particularly just like that. But I mean, doing period costumes is like it's you know do enough research and make sure you you have the right kind of neckline for the decade you're in. Like, come on! But I'm so excited for Ruthie Wilson on um, yeah on Black Panther Black though Pants, because like um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is very I think did a good job with the costumes. It's the same costume designer as did um, First Man, which I also thought was a really good costume film that isn't in here. Um, but, like, it's uh, – I think – you haven't seen it, but I have. Um, it's it's very unified aesthetic, that film, and, and it takes a lot from, like, art and things like that. In a very, I will. I think it's but, a, in a good way, I think. Yeah. So Black Panther, like, obviously Ruth Carter created, like, a whole world <laughs> from nothing. And, and you, we saw those Tumblr posts where it was, like, pulling from um the different like you could clearly see the influence from different cultures and oh it was so gorgeous and she made all the different tribes different clearly colored Mm. fantastic mary poppins returns also really good costumes that like show tell the story of what's going on with your characters Mm. so they're fine but like yeah mary poppins is a period piece in flashy costumes but i do appreciate those costumes yeah i like the way they did mary slightly different but still you know very much in the spirit of the original mm. and those fantastic animated sequence costumes where they drew onto the fabric yeah. to make them look like they're part of the world is yeah. really gorgeous and really clever and it, and something that the original film doesn't do even though the original film is amazing also at costumes it's something fresh and new that they haven't just taken because people mm. were talking about the set design and stuff like that um as being just you know a rehash of the original but the costumes very definitely aren't yeah they are like taking the original and furthering it, mm. um, which I really appreciate. Yeah. So that one I'm, I'm glad, but I really hope Black Panther wins. Yeah. I mean, just – I do too. I feel like Black Panther, like even though it wasn't my favourite like film of the year in the way that I think a lot of other people loved it, Yeah. in terms of a lot of the technical stuff of creating this new country and this new – kind of a technologically advanced country that also needs to fit into the African diaspora that needs to like have its own culture and do that so effectively through mm. score, costume, set design, all of that all together. Yeah. Um, and create this and hair and makeup even. Yeah. Like that should be nominated for hair and makeup and create this world mm-hmm. for the story to be in is amazing it's so fantastic yeah and well, hair and makeup on on um, black panther also all of the actors for most of them this was the first time for them walking onto a set and all of the hairdressers knew how to cope with their natural hair mm. there was no like trying to use inappropriate hair products on natural hair every they were each sort of they each had hair design that was appropriate to how the actor's hair was and also what was right for the character. I Yeah, it was. It was excellent. But what is nominated in makeup and hair is Border, which is a foreign Oh, film. I want to see that. Yeah. That's um, – it's – because when they were talking about it on the radio, I was like, what is that? Seems familiar. It's made by somebody who made something else that's really great. It's a, it's a Swedish film. And yeah. Yeah, people really liked it. Oh, oh, Let the Right One In. Oh, it's yes. the, by the guy who made Let the Right One In mm. and it's about this border guard and she's like – 
a fish person or something. Yeah, it looks really it. cool. It does. I really want to yeah. see that. I, and it, it looks amazing and uses some really cool prosthetics. Um, Mary Queen of Scots, which is a period piece and lots of wig work, so that's why that's in there. Um, and Vice, lots of prosthetics. Yeah. My uh, suggestion for this one was uh, that they add Hereditary. Yes. Uh, which you haven't seen. But there are some very intense makeup things that go on there. But aside from the makeup, the very intense makeup stuff, what they do with Tony Collette in that is really interesting. Mm. Um, the makeup stuff that they do on um, Wolf, Nat Wolf, as he goes through the movie is mm. really interesting. Uh, aside from the one big set piece that they do that's very kind of, I don't want to spoil anybody yeah. if they haven't seen it, but it's very famously mm. the big thing that happens yeah. in that movie. Uh, so... And again, I, I think genre snobbery really hurt Hereditary this yeah. year. Hereditary was, to me, easily one of the best movies of last year, one of the movies that is going to have an impact on mm. the culture from last year and is really good and really well made with amazing performances and amazing technical stuff yeah. that's just ignored because it's a horror film. Yeah, and I mean, you know, not just makeup, but horror does – some really great technical stuff like it's a, it's a really great that's the reason a lot of directors start in horror is because it gives you a lot of opportunities if you're interested in doing creatures or if you're interested in if you're interested in sound for example like sound edits and mixes on horror films are incredibly important mm. um uh, in sound mixing and editing a quiet place is i think it's in editing but not mixing yeah. or what, one 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 way around or the other um part of the reason a quiet place works at all um, because when we reviewed it, we found all these problems after the fact. But yeah. the reason in a in a cinema that works just phenomenally because of the way the sound is edited yeah. together. But yeah, like makeup. If you're into makeup, get get involved in horror because prosthetics and there's always you always need blood and you got to mess people up. You you might have to deal with some decapitated heads. Like yeah. it's cool, it's fun, and it allows. Um, yeah, it, it's it really shows off a lot of the skills of people. Involved. Yeah, I also. Uh, wanted to um, put Hereditary and another personal favourite into the cinematography category. Oh, um, yes. I'm ve- I get very frustrated with the cinematography category because for some reason they always nominate dramas. And I'm like, but often dramas are the most boringly shot films. Not always. Uh-huh. Moonlight was shot incredibly. I really love the cinematography on that. Yep. Roma, to be fair, Beautiful. very beautifully shot. But – this year they didn't have Hereditary and they didn't have Mission Impossible Fallout, the best cinematography of last year. Yeah, I know. And they had The Favourite, which was fine. It All was a fish period piece. Yeah, oh, they did something fancy with the fisheye lens. They made a period piece look slightly less period-y. Yeah. And I, to be fair, I haven't seen Cold War, which is up there, but, but, um, but again, it's a period piece. And... I've never seen Never Look Away, which is a German film, but the the cinematographer is Caleb Deschanel, who's been up like six times for this award. So that's a very classic Oscars thing of the cinematography branch going, oh, yeah, he's a good old mate. Yeah. We gotta, we should actually give him an award sometime. Yeah, to be fair, they also – Far Away Home, I, I have no doubt. Um, they also um, nominated what's it, the Blade Runner 2049 very famous guy. Uh, um, uh, Matthew Libertique? No. Oh, no, he's no. doing a start. He's there for start. Last year. Well, for, for oh. Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yes. uh, the, the Australian guy. Yeah. 
whose uh, name I've forgotten. That everybody loves and whose name is falling out of my head. My and brain is giving me Giannis, which I don't think honestly, is his name. Honestly, though, I mean, Blade Runner 2049 is well shot. Yes. Um, that's not the problem with it at all. But, yeah, God, I'm, I'm looking him up because I can't yeah. remember his name and he's extremely famous and also, I believe, Australian. Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins. Yes, and thanks. he finally won after so many years of trying. He yeah. is He is British. He's not Australian. I'm getting him mixed up with some other famous <laughs> cinematographers. Um, but yeah, that um, last year was actually pretty good. Yeah, on genre snob, like it wasn't as snobby as mm. previous years have been. And to me, last year was the best Oscars year in in ages. All of the films that were up, or almost all of the films that were up, were worthy of being on that list. Mm. They were really good films in their own right. They put in stuff that's not uh, that is in genres that aren't no- often nominated, like The Shape of Water and yeah. Blade Runner twenty forty nine um, for cinematography. Mm. And then this year, their genre snobbery stopped them from acknowledging really great achievements yeah. in film, like that Mission Impossible Fallout cinematography. That is like, I had chills so many times watching that mm. film, seeing things I've never seen on film before. Like that shot of them in the sky is amazing. I still remember that shot when they come up to the car, mm. like along the ground. Um, some of the stuff oh, they that, do with – the BMW arriving at the airport. Yeah. yeah. The, the, some of the stuff they do with drones is really incredible. Oh. Watching Matt – Matt. Watching Tom Cruise run across rooftops, like following him with the camera – in real time, like with the whole of wherever that was, was that pa- no, that was later. London, it was in London. London with the whole of London in the background. Come mm. on, yeah, that's incredible. The Paris car chase oh, scene, the, 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 that very famous rock in Norway in which they shot the ending. Yeah, like and the technical challenges, like working with a stunt team to do all that work because so because the Tom Cruise movie lots of it's in camera the stunts mm. are really done um this by the way speaking of oscar categories that don't get nominated there's nothing yeah. for stunt coordinating or stunt teams which is obviously something that has a massive oversight has been for many years but like yeah the the just the sheer technical ability to make that movie look as good as it did yeah i know i i'm i'm so angry that they didn't nominate that because it just to me like that was stuff that I've never seen mm. and for them to ignore it is wrong. Yeah. And I mean, like another one that I have seen, which I think probably merits consideration, although most people will have seen it on Netflix even more than, than Roma is um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, if you can't get a Western up for cinematography, I mean, it's these beautiful broad vistas and Death Valley and mm. um, shots taken straight from paintings so, yeah. like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I am glad that Matthew Liebertick got a nomination, oh, yes, though. Yes, for I think A Star great. is Born, because A Star is Born is wonderfully shot. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that frustrated me. Yes. Um, so we're not going to go through all of the categories. No, um, just the ones that, we're interested in. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a huge amount to say about the Best Picture nominees. No. I think you can probably guess some of the movies I might put on there that weren't already <laughs> there. Um, is Hereditary nominated? No. No, I would no. put Hereditary on there. I, and I would put um, Can You Ever Forgive Me. Oh, and Can You Ever Forgive Me, which was my favourite, like my highest rated film of last year. Yeah. Not my favourite. My favourite was still Bad Times at the El Royale, but it was my highest yeah. rated one. Oh, we one. both very much enjoyed Bad Times at the El Royale and we both very much enjoyed Tully, although I don't know whether that's up for Best Picture, but it, it should have at least been in the Best Actress consideration, although the Best Actress category is so stacked with good people already. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about is – uh, this year, I would just go through the best actor and like knock basically everybody out of it. 
um, the only people who are in there. I mean, to be fair, I haven't seen um, the Willem Dafoe movie. I will. It's got Oscar Isaac in it, so I'll see it at some point. Um, but, um, like, the only other person that I really feel like deserves to be in there is Rami Malek. <laughs> Hmm. for the movie nobody wants nominated bohemian rhapsody yeah. i would just take it out of all the other categories and then get him leave him with the nomination for best actor because he saved that movie yeah like he did so much for that movie and his performance is really good and it is a really good performance that a lot of people saw last year mm -hmm. um it's really cool that an egyptian american is getting all of this attention like i fully support rami malek's nomination I didn't think Bradley Cooper was that good in A Star Is Born. I thought his direction was his actually direction better. His direction was really good. I mean, there's a reason he's not up for best director, but yeah, he, his direction was better than his acting in that film. Yeah. Um, Christian Bale is being nominated for putting on weight, um, weight and makeup, mm -hmm. <laughs> like Gary Oldman last year, and he's probably going to win. Willem Dafoe is being nominated for doing playing a uh, famous crazy person, he and probably is. also wearing some makeup and uh, he does kind of look like Van Gogh at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um like naturally. But yes. um and then um Vigo. Yeah, um, who we you heard my um feelings about Vigo in Green Book pr pr previously. Yeah. Um so I would just knock them all out, put Mahershala Ali in there instead mm -hmm. of in best supporting because it's not a supporting role and then put Tony Collette for Hereditary and um Charlie Theron for Tully in there. Yep. Because they both deserve to be nominated and I am sad that they weren't nominated, but I'm so glad Melissa McCarthy was and I don't really want to knock out anybody from the best no, actress. No, and like Glenn Cl in best actress, like Glenn Close has the the momentum and I I can't like for a veteran actress nominated six times or whatever I can't object to that. I haven't seen The Wife, and I, but I do understand she's good in it. Um, yeah, Yelitsa Aparicio, I just re-listened to the Roma episode and we talk about how much we like her mm. in that film. Um, Olivia Coleman, again, someone who's like a veteran, who's been around forever, who's been paying their dues and working hard and but also is just like known to be kind and fun and just a good all-round person even despite having many years in the business i have no objection to her lady gaga is excellent we talked about that when we reviewed a star is born and melissa mccarthy in can you ever forgive me is just it's a career best yeah performance i also kind of want to put john david washington in best actor if i can't get yeah. the women in there because i thought he was great in black clansman uh -huh. he really carries that film and it's one of his first films he's amazing yeah. yes john, um, yeah john david washington is amazing i'm um yes i, I would have happily put him in there too yeah, so there's yep. there's so many other options for that that I just want to wipe the slate clean, basically. Yeah, that's um, right. But yeah, so and then the you know, and then for the, and of course because Mahershala is in supporting actor and he's going to win it because he's wonderful. Two of our favourites that we talked about, Richard E. Grant and Sam Elliott, who are the definition of supporting actors and mm. definition of supporting roles, are going to miss out. Yeah, and especially for me, um, Richard E. Grant in Can You Ever Forgive Me. Um, Sam Elliott to me is always going to be the guy in the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Like it's just this kind of thing in my head. Hmm. And to me, that's his best role. But like, I know he was good in A Star Is Born. And yes, he deserves the nomination for backing up the driveway while tearing up. Like that is a great scene. But Richard E. Grant, the, the marriage of that role with him as like this guy that we just think of as being the 90s, yeah. you know, and being that 
kind of character of the 90s to put him in this role is such synergy (laughs) it's so perfect and he did such a perfect job Mm. he did a perfect job in that movie there's nothing that he did in that movie that wasn't absolutely spot on yeah so for me he's my guy yeah and he also wins the Olivia Coleman Award for a person who's just delighted to be here and seems to be an utterly delightful person and utterly deserving of this accolade. There's always one every year. Like last year it was Timothy Chalamet, someone who's like, oh, my God, I've never done this before. This is so exciting and tells you all about how exciting it is and he's that person this year and it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for my thoughts on acting. So then we go um, – the other one I want to talk about is score. Um, yes. Now, yes. I haven't seen – Beale Street and Isle of Dogs, which are both nominated here. Um, Isle of Dogs has an Alexandre Desplat score, so it must be good. Yes. Um, I am very biased towards him. I love the Black Klansman score. Yeah. Um, and Black Panther has a good score, but I would really like to put Annihilation in here. Annihilation oh, yeah. had a really good score, like a really fascinating, weird, mm. cool score. Yep. I was going to write down who wrote it and I've forgotten to do that. But um, it is, it's one that has actually made it onto my score playlist. Mm. Oh, wow. Because it's really fascinating um, and gives a really different kind of mood to a lot of the other mm. stuff that's on there. It's, I love that score. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of sad that, I mean, it, it, that movie just fell by the wayside. There's yeah. a few things that you could really nominated for, like special effects and things. Yeah, uh, it's a bit sad that got so. There it is, composer. Not looked at. Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a that that kind of balletic sequence at the end with Natalie Portman uh-huh. and her double. Like, yeah. What the score on that is so powerful. Yeah. So that to me is one that I would put in there. Maybe mm. in place of Mary Poppins Returns, even though I love it. We do love Mary that. Poppins Returns isn't really doing any. Well, no, it, we did love that score, but yeah, I understand why you may not. It, it, you know, it's not actually doing anything super innovative or interesting. Well, the interesting thing that it does is pull all the songs from the original yeah. and make them into the score. Yeah. But that to me also then makes it like I feel like the songs should be nominated, but maybe the score is just not as yeah. It's more of a, amazing. Yeah, um, a and to me, the, the the annihilation score. I also put probably put it in place of the Black Panther one, mm-hmm. which has some really good things, but some things that are just a bit kind of noisy. Yes, um, yes. only out of the ones I've seen. I mean, you know, maybe Isle of Dogs score isn't that great from Alexandra Desplat, but he did. He's amazing. He did Shape of Water last year, I'm pretty sure, and that was yeah, my favorite last year. Yeah, he did year, that. So. He's done, I think he did um, one that I have on my, one of my playlists, which is um, a movie I didn't even like. What's that Pink Wedding Cake Hotel one called? Oh, oh, Great Budapest. Yeah, Grand Great Budapest. Grand Budapest. It's beautiful score. The most beautiful score. I love listening to it. Yeah, I will listen to an Alexandre Desplat at any time. He, um, I, I feel the same way about there's a composer um, who wrote the score for that Pride and Prejudice. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who is that? Um, who just writes the most beautiful scores, mm. even for movies that I don't like? Dario Marianelli. Oh, right, yep. In fact, I watched Pride and Prejudice because I loved that score so much. <laughs> um, genuinely, it came up on Netflix and I was like, oh, I love the score for that movie. I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, it's a, yeah. He writes the most gorgeous scores. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm, I, I yeah, and, 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 have and become a bit of a score nerd. You, yeah, you have always been since we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> and obviously, like, original song is hardly worth talking about just because if Shallow doesn't win, like, I can't, 
I just don't know what people are thinking. It'll be the biggest upset since um, ever. No, <laughs> no, at the Oscars ever, yes. But since um, Let It Go lost the Golden Globe to U2 in 2013, that's t- like that was a table flipper. Yeah. But this is absolutely like, yeah, as our uh, our radio colleague Simon says, they'll be rioting in gay bars all over the world. Yes, and it's a. I mean, I'm just sad that Mary Poppins Returns didn't come out on a different year because I love the songs in that. Yeah, but there's yeah. no way they are. They're really great songs. There's no way that it can be. They can beat Shallow. Shallow is no, too big. Shallow is going with that, so that's not even worth chatting about. Yeah. Um. And so the last snub that I want to talk about is actually in the best documentary, which I didn't even know about till you mentioned it, and I am really upset about. Um. That which is I think is the only documentary that we have watched in the last year was Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Fred mm-hmm. Rogers that was so good it made it into my honorable mentions for the year yeah it's a great great film wonderful film not nominated for best documentary somehow yeah i mean i don't i don't know i I just don't there's one about there's rbg which is like i guess the documentary version of on the basis of sex sure i can see why that's there um apparently better free solo about a you know unroped mountain climber sure that's beautiful i'm sure that's beautiful and if you're into that kind of thing knock yourselves out but like yeah has anyone heard of the other three yeah minding the gap i've heard of okay hail county this morning this evening oh god of fathers and sons like come on come on you're not gonna put mr rogers in there guys also i know everybody in hollywood saw that i saw all their tweets when it came out everybody saw it it's such a weird that's a weird one not yeah. to have up there and so. it's also it's like it, it it's the one everyone's seen like in the some of these categories where people you know people don't watch the movies it's often the one that they've seen that wins like animated short almost always goes to pixar because like the old dudes will have seen it in front of watching the pixar movie with the grandkids so they'll vote for it right yeah and documentary like that's a documentary people actually watched yeah. because people love mr rogers um it's really funny um there's a i saw a twitter thread earlier today that was um at just an article about how incredibles 2 is actually quite subversive and really great film <laughs> and literally <laughs> the whole the all the replies are just the same like what the f- face from, from spider Man into the Spider-Verse. Which I, even yeah. I, as a person who did like Incredibles 2 better than Into the Spider-Verse, am going, but Into the Spider-Verse deserves that win. Yeah. Um, because Into the Spider-Verse is much more innovative in terms of its technology um, and in terms of its animation and its best animated yeah. feature. Um, and it does have a really great story without the same kind of um, – like backing that something yeah. like Incredibles oh, 2 has. I, I saw that and I was just like, it, it was the funniest thing in the world. But Incredibles, uh, not Incredibles, um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is, is like shallow. If you are the kind of person who puts money on the Oscars, you, like you you can put money on that one. Yeah. Like there's no way it's not going to win. Um, yeah. Like yeah. like I said, even as somebody who just the animation style gave me a headache and I didn't really yeah. enjoy it, I still know that that's the best yeah. animated feature this yeah. year. And and, and be, I loved Incredibles yeah. too. Like we're not when it's not best animation, it's best animated feature, but it, yeah. it just is. Like it was innovative in its storytelling and in its use of animation. Yeah. So yeah, I don't have any more notes. Unless you want to say something else. No, nothing particularly gets me excited about anything else. I'm just looking through the list and I'm like, we haven't even talked about writing. But, I mean, it it isn't something that we – I don't think any of us had a particular – feeling about that. I think well, um, can you ever forgive me is in there. Is and that was there. my and favorite is, writing of the, the year. Best, so um 
that and um, the favorite has fantastic writing oh, and that's in there as well. Yeah. So those two would be my picks for writing. Oh, while we're talking about Black it, Klansman I suppose probably is, um, is, which is also in there. Yeah, that's great writing too. Um, I suppose with best director, oh, um, yeah. it would just be nice to see more women in there. Well, yeah, um, a lot of people talking about Chloe Zhao, who made a film called The, the Rider. Rider, but Marielle Heller, that's who the made, one for me. Um, Can you ever forgive me? Which we loved. And there's this movie that I should probably see that's called You Were Never Really Here that people have been raving, mm. like mm. raving about this year that nobody saw that yeah. was directed by Lynn Ramsey. Oh, right, um, yeah. That really like people just, you know, film critics who got to see that loved it. I don't even know if it came out here or if it did, it was very brief because yeah. it was never really on our radar. I, I don't remember it coming out here. Yeah, so um, but that one apparently is amazing as well. Um, for me, it's Marielle Heller. That yeah. movie is really well directed. Can you ever forgive me? Is really well directed. It's so mm. well put together. The way that she can balance comedy and tension and drama is in and put it all into this really mm. neat little package is so good. Yeah. Um, and if she were Woody Helen, that movie would be no- she would be nominated because it's got that kind of feeling to it, mm. but without all the ickiness. <laughs> like yeah, it's such and, a- and like Woody Allen, you know, in his good years, yeah. It is a, such a well-directed movie. Mm. Um, I'm really d- disappointed that that yeah. didn't get more um, attention than it did. Yeah. I'm also kind of sad that they didn't nominate Ryan Coogler. I know it's unlikely, yeah. but they've re- failed to – actually, Michael B. Jordan was also my pick for Best Supporting Actor who oh, wasn't yeah. in there because they failed to recognize the brilliance of Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan mm. so many times. Yeah. Ryan Coogler is super young. He's like 32 or something. But he has proven himself a consummate director uh, over several films. Yeah. I'm really hoping Spike Lee wins that. Uh, Yeah. He would Uh, be my favorite. Yeah, sorry, Best Director. I think – I actually think Spike Lee is going to win Best Director. I think the director's branch is going to honor him. Even though Black Klansman is an excellent film and it was definitely in our sort of top tens of the year, it's it's not up – oh, it is up for Best Picture. Um, But I I genuinely – just looking at the list of people, like – Obviously, Rome is an excellent film, and I it would be my one I want to win Best Picture. I I do have a horrible feeling Green Book might take it, but I want Rome to win Best Picture. Um, but looking through the list of Best Directors, Spike Lee, Powell Pawlowski, Yorgos Lanthimos, Alfonso Cuarón, and Adam McKay, I mean, Yorgos Lanthimos to me feels like a welcome to the club. Yes, we think you're an interesting auteur. Um, Alfonso Cuarón <laughs> is like, yes, you're an excellent director, but he's got this before. He would be probably the one who's the actual favorite adam mckay again well you're kind of an auteur dude so yeah we like you um powell powellowski is yes we watch foreign films too and spike lee is to me is the nominee that says we've overlooked this guy for too long mm. and it is time as directors that we recognized our peer and so um, i i think and hope that he's going to win it i would like him to win it um He's never been nominated before, as far yeah. as I know, which is crazy. It's I just he's such an important director, yeah, like such an important director, and uh, also not taught enough in Australia, I don't think, because he no kind of skipped my notice until I was an adult, and that's really disappointing for me. <laughs> but he's a great director uh, and a great filmmaker. And Black Klansman was a really great film. Like if that won Best Picture, I would not be sad. I would be really, really happy if that wins Best Picture. Uh, I had some minor problems with the ending, but like it doesn't it's affect my overall. It's such a good film though. Yeah, it's such a good movie. Um, very relevant very and very 
like very aesthetically 70s but also very cool hmm. and very and modern fun to watch yeah great film so Good film i would like him to win as well um i mean i don't mind roma winning like alfonso Cuaron is probably my favorite living director yeah um it, it would would be deserved but, but he, like, roma's not my favorite of his movies but yeah. again i didn't get to watch it the right way yeah well th- that's the problem though <laughs> anyway sam cool i guess that's been our oscars special yeah and our 300th episode <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. 